Welcome to the Consortium Podcast, an academic audio blog sponsored by Kepler Education. Kepler is a consortium of independent classical Christian teachers unified by a shared vision for student flourishing. Welcome, I'm Scott Postma, your host, and today I'm joined by Carrie Eben, and Carrie is a longtime classical educator. Welcome, Carrie. Good to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Carrie, as we uh, get into talking about classical education, one of the things we love to learn about is um, your own education. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Well, I guess we can start in grammar school. I went to a private Christian school, two different ones, and my 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 mother was an educator, and she she taught at a private school uh, in Long Beach, California. So that's where I grew up, and I did not go to public school actually until I was in junior high and high school, and I went to a magnet school program in the inner city. So I was bused every morning. It was kind of their way of in- integrating uh, the Long Beach area. And I went to a pretty rough part of town in junior high and high school. Uh, my high school is was Long Beach Polytechnic High School. I went to school with uh, Snoop Dogg and uh, Cameron Diaz. They were a couple of years older than me. So, um, you know, that's my claim to fame. I was not friends <laughs> with them at all, but I was in a special program in uh, at Poly, Long Beach Poly High School that uh, was known for its uh, AP program. So it was called the PACE program. And uh, we had access to all of the AP classes that we could have. It was a very rigorous program, it was very college prep, college bound. In that program, I re- remember thinking, I'm, I'm not sure why I'm here. Like I was with students that were very, very smart and um, I never considered myself one of them, like the really uber smart. I was one of those, you know, average test scores, but I was a, a great student. So I was a great student. I loved to learn, but I loved my high school years. I had the opportunity to take AP art history, which kind of changed my direction. I wanted to uh, study that. That was kind of my my first real taste of the humanities was uh, the art history class. And I was also in one of the best music programs in the state. And I was in a vocal jazz group. And so I learned a lot of music and I, I really just had a an opportunity to flourish during that time. It was not classical education though. So none, none of it was, I, I had no idea what that was, but I really did love to learn about things. I love to know. So I, I was the girl that would do the extra credit, you know, reports and go to the Getty museum and see different things. And, you know, with my group, I, w- I was the girl that did the study group uh, for AP US history and we would have fun and I would gather people around and we'd fill out our subject matter outlines and, you know, study together. So I've been a learner from way back now in college, I went to Baylor and, um, for just one semester did, um, and then I ended up, uh, finishing out my education at John Brown university, which is, around the corner from where I currently live. (laughs) So uh, my parents actually moved there when I was in uh, a sophomore in college and I was able to attend there and finish. And I, I received a degree in education, which I never thought I would do. I wanted to do history or art history, 
But the education program at JBU uh, during that time in the early 90s um, was I, I was really attracted to one professor and she's still my mentor today. And she is now a very big uh, supporter of classical education. And yeah, and our school that we just uh, that we launched four years ago here in Salem Springs, Arkansas. So uh, I, I went on to get my degree, a master's degree in curriculum and instruction. And I will say that is actually the one of the turning points in my education. Uh, I, I received a degree from Oklahoma State University and um, secular university, postmodern ed- Postmodern education, postmodern philosophy was basically the entire program. And I was I had been I was teaching at the time. I was teaching fifth grade and uh, ever teaching everything at a, at a private Christian school in Tulsa and getting my degree. And it was during this time that that I thought, is this it? Is this is this all that there is? I really thought I would be learning more about subjects and um, you know, the content, I, I really was like, I want to know more about content and how to be a great teacher, not about really the politics of teaching and, uh, and postmodern thinking. So everything was looked at with the lens of gender, socioeconomic class, um, race. And I just remember thinking, I don't, I don't think I want to do this. Like I, I don't want to continue this. And so I ended up teaching at a, I was invited to teach at a brand new classical school in Tulsa called St. Augustine um, Academy. I think it's just called Augustine classical school now in Tulsa. It was one of the very first, that was in 1998 or something like that. Um, so it was very new. I mean, classical mm-hmm. education was very new. Um, they gave me the book Lost Tools of Learning by Douglas Wilson. I gobbled that up and I started teaching at this school uh, history and I I did a lot of hands-on things and um, but I was pregnant at the time and so I actually didn't finish out the year. I ended up staying home with my son and fi- um, finding um, different places to teach. I had a voice studio that I I. I um, had in my home and I taught a different classical co-ops, but um, I found uh, I ended up, I never thought I would homeschool. Um, in fact, that was one of the things that I told my husband who, who was not my husband at the time we were just dating. He was homeschooled back in the eighties, back in when it was wow. like, you know, you were in the, you were hiding <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> in Colorado. He was hiding out and uh, his mother actually ended up doing, um, she ended up writing, helping develop some of the laws there in the state of Colorado. I mean, back in the day in the mid eighties. And yeah, those uh, were, those were the, I apologize to interrupt you, but those yeah, were the please. days of early getting, you know, uh, Public uh, education was was sort of the compulsory standard that everybody had to accept. So homeschoolers and private schools were sort of an anomaly. Right. And so that, you know, uh, so that's a uh, an important just for our, our listeners to know, that's a, a very important time in in the history of the, you know, the reclamation of classical education. And so, you know, both you and he were in the midst of that. Yeah, she so we, you know, I'm standing on my mother in law's shoulders, <laughs> even shout out to her. Thank you so much. Because, it, yeah, what she did with her own children was pretty magnificent. And, um, you know, she doesn't do that now. She's not, of course, 
homeschooling, but I, I look back to think about the things that she did during the time that she did. I'm pretty amazed. So um, anyway, I, I ended up um, my my. I remember thinking when I was in my master's program at Oklahoma State. I remember thinking. I vow that my child will not do this. <laughs> so I, but I, do, I wasn't sure exactly what until I was introduced to classical education through the school at, at Augustine Classical School in Tulsa. And um, I, I thought this is the kind of education I want for my child. In fact, this is the education I want for me. I want my own education. I want to do more of this and I need to learn more of this. And so, you know, I, I had children, I have two children and, you know, I stayed at home with them and my son ended up going to a uh, uh, preparatory school, uh, classical school in Tulsa. And it wasn't Augustine. It was a different one. And we uh, regent preparatory school. We loved that school. And then we had to move and, then both of my children went to an, another classical school in Texas. We we were living there. And after uh, a year of that, I was teaching with them part time and and learning. I, I realized that um, at this particular school, they really just didn't have the model down. I, I mean, I was a part time teacher and they kept asking me. I was a new, you know, how can we make this, you know, the classical model? How can we make this work? And. I ended up thinking, um, you know, I was never going to homeschool, but then it was very clear one morning I woke up and it was like, God, God, thus saith the Lord. <laughs> all of a sudden, it's like all roads po pointed to class, you know, classical education at home. I could just do this better at home. And then that started my journey with classical conversations for 12 years. So I was in the classical conversations world and, you know, I was a tutor, a director. I taught you know, classes, I taught Latin, that is where I grew the most in my classical education knowledge. I mean, I'm in a PhD program now, so I'm still in education learning, but I will have to say as a teacher, that is where I grew, just schooling my own children, reading the classics with them, teaching them Latin, teaching them logic, um, and uh really that was the best education my part of my journey up until now recently when i'm you know now i'm in a phd program at faulkner and you know getting whipped around there because <laughs> i'm not humanities I, you know i did not have a humanities discipline i have i feel like i have a lot of catch up to do even with 12 years of homeschooling i have many many years i know there's so many people that know so much more than me and i'm just hanging on but i really really enjoy it i also you know shout out to the crc program i completed my uh, crc apprenticeship this summer and graduated oh, fantastic. congratulations that is probably you know after the 12 years of homeschooling being in that program boosted me a whole nother level too as far as being attentive to my teaching craft um i highly recommend recommend, you know, being a part of just that program, being being forced, uh, not forced, that's not a good word, encouraged and challenged to think with a group of other like-minded people in, in the apprenticeship process, you know, a mentor coming alongside of you and probing and challenging you. So I've been able to feel and kind of embody the education that I'm wanting to give to others as well. That's been poured into me. So in a nutshell, that was probably a way 
very long answer to a question, but I, I like this question actually because it's probably one of my favorite questions. I love to talk about my educational journey. I love education. Uh, I have learned so much in my own process, just being a school teacher in a Christian school, in a classical school, in a home in homeschool. You know, I kind of run the whole gamut. Probably, you know, maybe if I could label one of my superpowers is that I, you know, I I have a understanding of of the whole package. Sure. Um, Kindergarten all the way through, even through college, I've taught it all and and in a variety of settings. So, Um, yeah, one one of the things that, you know, it's a privilege for me to be on this side of of hosting a podcast because I get to to ask that question, you know, that you just answered to a lot of different folks and, and to get to hear all the different journeys and the different ways and no, no two journeys are ever exactly the same, except there's always this one part that almost everybody says is, is I want that education that I never had, you know, that, that you talked about, exactly. we, you know, and I, and I think, you know, for most of us um, who weren't raised in a, a classical setting or didn't get a classical education, uh, we recognize the drought and, and we're, we have a hunger, you know, really for that um, uh uh, I think I just mixed metaphors there. So we, we recognize the famish and, and, and hunger for it, you know. Um, but one of the things you said uh, as you were talking about being in high school um, at, at Polytech is the difference between being, um, you know, an intelligent student. Um, you said there was a lot of intelligent people and being a great student. And I thought that was a really great um, uh, statement that you made, a great observation. And, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but could you talk a little bit about what what makes a great student? So with your education, uh, with your experience in teaching and, and your own education experience, what would you say makes a great student? If somebody feels like I've got so much to learn, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm out of my league, so to speak, because a lot of people do feel that way. What could what does make a great student? I love that you asked this question. I don't know if I've ever actually been asked this question, but I feel like this is the moment because I feel like I talk about this all, all the time, um, you know, I, and I'm and I live it every day. So I've lived it my whole life. And, you know, being at the a PhD student in the Faulkner University program, shout out to Faulkner. Um, I I think that what makes a great student can be found or articulated in intellectual virtues. And so uh, I, I, I've known this for a long time, but it was never, I, I was not able to articulate it in, in a, such a succinct way that I would say intellectual virtues. I may have just talked about qualities, but last uh, December, I had the opportunity to uh, review a book called uh, Deep in Thought. Uh, it's about intellectual virtues uh, by Jason Bear, who is actually a Long Beach uh, resident now. And <laughs> he has a school, a charter school called the Intellectual Virtues School. And so he wrote this book. It was, it was brand new. Um, I think it was out. I think it was just out this last last year. And he talks about nine intellectual virtues. And um, so he kind of puts them into three groups, curiosity, 
autonomy and humility, which I, I categorize, you know, when I've expressed about them, I categorize those three as kind of working, uh, sorry, pre-academic virtues. And then he has attentiveness, carefulness, and thoroughness. And those virtues, I kind of characterize as these are your working virtues. These are the ones that you use when you're actually in the process of learning something new. And then you have your overcoming virtues. And he doesn't use that term, but um, in my mind, that's how, you know, he categorized it. And I thought, okay, this is the, this is how I want to look at it. But he, the last group is open-mindedness, courage, and tenacity. And I call them the overcoming virtues because those are the virtues that, we um, we need when things get really tough for us. So the difference between a good, you know, a student and a good student, number one, you really need, first of all, that pre the pre you need to want to be curious about things. And I think, you know, if you don't have curiosity about learning, then there's really, it's kind of a moot point. There's no it's really, really hard to motivate a student if they're not curious. Um, it's also, go ahead. Yeah, yes. no, sorry. You said something about that a minute ago that I, I thought was great. You know, you said, I just always wanted to know. And I immediately thought of Aristotle saying that, you know, uh, yeah. all men desire to know. And we know that because we employ our senses. Uh, but there are some that really want to know and they're hungry and they're curious. And I, so I, I just wanted to emphasize that point that you made. I think that's a that's a great uh, virtue and, and, a, and a super important point in, in developing, um, you know, being a great student is, is that. So I just wanted to highlight and echo what you said. Well, and, and Scott, I think in our society, one thing I've noticed is that we we don't have a lot of curious people. I mean, we have people who, I, you know, I think about the, the, the book Fahrenheit 451, which I had, I had to read in Dr. Wood's class in intro to the humane letters. And I had actually never read that in high school. And so it was my first time and it was awe-inspiring. In fact, my children all read it that summer. And then we read 1984. We read all the dystopian novels. So, um, and you know, I, I thought this is why this, this is true. This Fahrenheit 451, this deadening of the senses, the deadening of experience, you know, living in acedia, just purposeful, purposelessness, living in purposelessness. And so that is kind of the thing that is coming at these intellectual virtues. So we have to be able to, I love it because Jason, he, you know, and I, I know he, he can't be the only one that's, you know, talked about these things, but um, I mean, intellectual virtues are, have been here for a long time or, and talked about for thousands of years. But I just when I read that book, it just it gave me uh, words to use to articulate, especially to parents and um, and our teachers at uh, Sager Classical Academy, um, the school I helped start here in Salem Springs. Um, they were hungry for that because it's like they know that there's something that they need to be imparting to their students, but using the language of in intellectual virtues really helps them to um, to encourage their students and to encourage their parents. In fact, we're even putting them on the assessments now. So uh, I know we can talk about assessment in a little bit, but, you know, we don't um, do grades in K through six. So we have. Um, it's more narrative assessment and in uh, in discussion and in relationship, and so having these 
these words to be able to encourage parents and encourage their students in these areas so that they know a good student is curious, you know, a good student is attentive to detail. We have so many distractions, you know, today and um, a good student is careful, which is, you know, usually my hang up. I'm, I'm the non-detail queen. (laughs) So, uh, and and then further, like the overcoming virtue well, that I call them overcoming virtues, open-mindedness, courage, and tenacity. I mean, just having the the courage to pursue a doctorate degree, you know, that just takes courage and it takes tenacity, probably more than being super smart. It's just being able to continue and um, having a hunger to, to learn and to be brave enough to to be brave enough and humble enough to receive correction and to realize that I don't know anything. You know, I don't, the more that I learn, the more that I, I don't know. And then being open-minded, I think, you know, this in our, 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 uh, our nation really needs to have the virtue of being open-minded. And when we have such a polarized, you know, political situation that we need to have the skills of being able to talk about something, you know, as Aristotle says, to hold it in our hand and um, look at it, but not necessarily adopt it, but be open-minded and, and to be able to entertain other people's ideas. So I really think, and to summarize what I'm saying, and to answer your question about, you know, what is a good student? I really, I, you know, my, my, new, my new thing is, is, are these intellectual virtues, because I realized that even though I wasn't, you know, the highest test taker, I did not, you know, take tests super well. I had a lot of these virtues going for me. And I, I think some of them were natural. They were God given. Um, I had a predisposition for them, but um, some of, some of them I, I developed and, and, uh, and I, I'm not sure how that happened. I think it was by the grace of God, but I, I want I want to be able to help parents to acknowledge these things in their students and encourage them towards them so that they can, you know, really, so we can live that good life so that we can live the good life of virtue and to continue to learn because these are the things that really matter in life. You know, not that, not the good job, not the, not the college degree. It's, it's just being able to know and to learn and to love God and to fulfill his purpose in our life. I, I love that answer. I, I'm I'm really pleased. It, you mentioned two things: the acedia and and distractions, and boy, uh, and ideology. The last the the loss of the rational public discourse. You know, and you put all those together, it's the perfect storm. And um, and you can see how you know we could become so polarized as a nation because there's really a couple of different narratives happening. People aren't thinking in the classical sense. You know that you mentioned. And, and I, I also love that you you talked about, you know, with the wonder and the curiosity, the desire to know, uh, because Mortimer Adler talks about education. When we read something that's not difficult or, or it's, it's easy for us to read, then we're not really learning. We're just we're agreeing. We may be uh, attaining more information, but we're really just agreeing on a level that we know when we're stretched to reach above us and to think in other intellectual categories and, 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 and those things, it does take tenacity. It takes a lot of work. So that hunger to know has to be, you know, uh, accompanied with that strength of, of character to, to just keep pressing on and, 
and and knowing you got to rest, you know, sit in that humility and that I don't know, uh, and that you know that that's a that's a difficult thing, especially when you have the options of uh, the distractions that are, are here. It's really easy to fall into this um, kind of um, you know sluggishness of 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 thought and just you know, be fed information. So I, I love your answer. I just kind of recap and summarize some of the uh, important things I heard you say. Um, you also talked about um, being a part of a, a brand new academy uh, that you, you helped found. And, and so Sager Academy, um, and I know you also have an online um, consulting, uh, classical consulting business, and you've done a lot of work in assessment. So can you talk a little bit about uh, the work that you're doing in education, and um, we'll put all the information uh, to uh, carry uh, our classical even and to Sager Academy and to the book you just mentioned as well. We'll put that all in the show notes, but maybe you could talk a little bit about um, what you're doing and, and these works that you're involved in. Yes. Yeah, so four and a half years ago, my friend and colleague, Jessica Hooten Wilson, whom you probably know, and she's an author and a, a speaker, and she's in the classical world and scholarly world. And she's a friend. And she she actually reached out to me actually before before four and a half years ago when I was still homeschooling. I was homeschooling my children, and she had a new um, kiddo. I think her her first daughter was like two. She was, and she's like, I have to if I'm going to stay here in Siloam, I have to find classical education somewhere. You know. Hey, you know, educate my children. You want to just, you know, you can homeschool my kid, you know, or we got to figure out something because she just she wanted to stay in this area, but there was no classical school and uh, she works. And so um, homeschooling wasn't really an option for her to do personally. And so, you know, we talked about classical conversations like, well, you know, that's really not how homeschooling works for, you know, at least for me, I, I, I wanted homeschool my kids. I didn't want to do it for other people's children at that point, but um, we, we remain friends and, um, and then um, four and a half years ago, her daughter is, you know, of school age and she's ready to start a school. And she's like, I, I just need you to do this. So my husband and I actually agreed. Um, I, I was still homeschooling my, my daughter. So she was in high school and um, I could not you know, become a teacher or a, a administrator at, or anything. At that point, I felt called to continue my daughter's education. I knew I couldn't do both well. And um, so I ended up, um, I said, well, you know, we'll be on the board. And so my husband and, and uh, her, she, uh, Jessica and her husband and a couple, another couple, um, decided to start this school. And so we're still, uh, we're considered founding board members. Um, but as far as my role in that school, it's, it's gone from everything at the beginning. I created pretty much the curriculum on the most part, you know, K through sixth grade and organized all of that. Um, I trained teachers along with uh, Jessica and uh, we found the building and we, you know, all of us negotiated that and we got furniture and ordered all the curriculum. So I guess that was everything. We didn't have a head of school yet. Oh, we hired all the teachers together, Jessica and I. So we did all of that and, and our one admin. And then we ended up in November, thank goodness, hiring a head of school because, 
you know, we had several things happen and our own personal lives were disrupted, you know, and we would have to go in and teach a week or put out a fire, but we, we, we did get ahead of school. So that's been good. So little by little, we've been releasing, um, our, our duties. So we have some great, um, uh, you know, I was able to train and, uh, help, you know, encourage and mentor our, our grammar school Dean. We now have, uh, an, an upper school Dean. We go through, uh, K through 12. So, I mean, the cool thing is our first year, we started with 49 students. The second year, uh, that was K through six. We we weren't going to go through six. We were just going to go through uh, four. But And we were hoping for 12 students to have, or 20 even, you know, to have like one or two teachers. That's That's what we were trying to have. And God bless us with 49 students. It was, you know, we had K through six and um, we had pretty full classes that year for what we could do. It was, it was a need. Obviously it was the right time. The next year we had over a hundred, we doubled. <laughs> we had over a hundred students and we went up the next grade level. Um, the next year we went to like 140, I think. And then this year, I think we're close to 170 K through 11. So, um, and I am, that is not anything that I did. Um, I just said yes to a crazy idea. I did my part of getting things established and now it is well on its way to, you know, we're just growing and expanding and, um, you know, I'm just hanging on for the ride, but I I've just enjoyed watching our classical teachers, especially the ones that have been there since day one grow in their knowledge. Cause we really did not have anybody that was, uh, Jessica and I knew about classical education, but um, none of our teachers really did. They just, there was something that drew them. It wooed them in their spirit their soul, and they caught that vision. And so, and you kind of, you know, with classical education, I feel like it's a calling, you know, like yeah. it's there or not. And we had parents where it was there and, you know, they're drawn to this beauty. It's a beautiful education. And so we have teachers now that are in their fourth year and they're doing fabulous and um, growing in their knowledge of classical education. Um, our dean is she's in, in the CRC apprenticeship program. So she joined my group. So she's doing that. And now I'm graduated and she says I have abandoned her, but, um, <laughs> but, um, I just, I just love her. And we, and we've got great, um, a great team in the upper school as well too. So, um, I, I'm just glad to be a part of it. And I'm, my husband and I still look at each other and his, his he, he is passionate about classical education as well, too. His knowledge is on the finance side and leadership. Mm-hmm. He's a great he's our uh, chair of the board right now. And he's a great leader and um, is able to handle um, with grace a lot of the different things that go on with our school. So we're, we're a good team. So we're like our, the classical education cheerleading team. So <laughs> that, that is fantastic. I, I, I'm, I'm always encouraged and, and it's, it's interesting, just like a lot of our journeys in education, the story of starting a school um, is, you know, a, a classical Christian school 
often has the same roots, the same motivations, right? Uh, families like, what are we going to do? We need to educate. Uh, and it is a beautiful education. It's a rich education. So there's, um, you know, folks who are drawn to it, who understand it and drawn to that kind of education. Um, I, I really appreciate you sharing that because for our listeners, I want them to know that if you're in a need of a classical Christian school in your area, it can be done. You know, it, one can be started, right? Even if you don't uh, have the teachers that have all the knowledge that you want them to have, but you can grow in it together if you have the desire and the and the tenacity. Well, and, you know, we had so many people that helped us uh, yeah. for, for free. Just say, here's all the stuff that we, here's like, here, here's our starting documents. You can use this. Here's our curriculum list. Um, see how this can help you. We had many different schools. Jessica was great in networking. Um, she had a lot of connections with different schools and they just helped us. And so, you know, we, I now feel led to help others, you know, in that way too, just in Northwest Arkansas, we're uh, growing a, a, a little consortium of our own, a group and um, being able to encourage and support one another, you know, as new schools pop up that we're, you know, we're not in competition with one another. We are all there for the same goal, you know, and, you know, my husband, I think it's great too, for those like, on the other side who, you know, women who have husbands who were, were not part of education, who yeah. become complete believers or vice versa. You know, my husband, the proof was in the pudding for him, you know, in the way that we raised our kids in their education. And it just, that, that was the, all the evangelizing he needed and to like, I want this for other people. This is, this is, was good for our family. This was good for all of our souls. You know, my husband, you know, he's part of a Circe atrium group on his own will studying Plato. Oh, I know. And he's a businessman, but he sees a value of this wisdom and knowledge of what this can do for him in his relationships. And so, you know, classical education is for everyone and um, it is it is beautiful for everyone. So you asked about classical, my classical consulting business. I actually started that out in the last um, year and a half ago last summer. I built a website and um, my husband was kind of a, a little bit of a catalyst to this and so like because he's the businessman you're like okay you need a website you need to do all this stuff and I'm like ah uh, okay <laughs> but um I had uh, been a part of you know classical conversations for so long and um we were working on at that time some assessment you know encouragement for parents and so um now, now what I do is um actually I um, I'm right now, my primary, um, audience at this point is classically educating homeschool parents for assessment. And I have a class for parents called tools for transcripts. And you can find that on the website, um, at classicaleven.com. And they, um, can take this class and really, you know, it's called tools for transcripts because that's really the fear that high school parents have is how do I assess and, you know, what about transcripts, but really what it's about, we, and we address, we, we talk about all those things, but by the end of the seminar, that's really not the, 
that's not the thing that they care about as much anymore. That fear is gone because we ended up talking about what is real assessment? What is humane assessment? How does that look in the homeschooling relationship? And um, how can we bring parents and kids together to have authentic assessment through conversation? We talk about assessing, you know, mimetically in a lesson, assessing through conversation. And, um, you know, it's not about the grade that are, you know, and, and that's another, that goes back to our discussion of being a good learner. It's not about the grade, although I like good grades. I really, (laughs) um, I'm a, I'm achievement oriented. I like good grades, but, um, if we can kind of set that aside, it's about growing in virtue. It's about growing those intellectual virtues, um, the, the freedom that parents experience, you know, after we we have this conversation in our seminar is is great. I mean, that's why I continue doing it, because they suddenly feel free that really the way that they've been educating and the way that they have been assessing um, kind of naturally and organically is it aligns with yeah. their purpose for education, which is growing in wisdom and virtue. And we want to keep those two things in alignment. And, um, and they really feel that stress go away. Now, what I'm also doing and what is not on my website yet, um, is I, I want to develop because I did this for the society for classical learning last summer. I, I'm, I made this seminar from, um, what I have done with homeschooling parents for classical schools. So classically educating teachers in a classical school. Uh, and that was received well. And uh, several people have asked, you know, to come to their school to do a seminar on assessment and narrative assessment. And so um, I want to start expanding that a little, you know, for other for other uh, classical schools, I mean, even Christian schools, anybody, anybody who will listen about let's let's get out of this game of, you know, being tied to the the tests, being tied to the grades. And um, so I mean, we have to sometimes work within those, you know, those confines. Sure, yeah. We have to. This is the world we live in. But how can we continue to keep our focus on the the right thing, the, the you know, the vir- those virtues in front of us? How do we grow as a human person? Um, I think about um, we talk about the abolition of man, the head, heart, you know, gut, the whole in uh, ed- remembering to assess the whole person, not just, you know one part of them and that we're coming alongside a student like Virgil is coming alongside of Dante as we descend and ascend. So we, we descend with our students and then, you know, we're, we're educari, we're leading out. And that's our focus of, that should be our focus of assessment. It's our focus in classical education, but how many times do we, even in classical education at schools, we get so, you know, it's like, oh, we talk about these beautiful things and we get to assessment and then we kill it. <laughs> yeah, I, you know? I think that's such an important aspect. And, and I'm so glad that, they, that you're doing this kind of work, be, you know, because just what you mentioned is is the breaking point, I think, for a lot of classical educators. We, we're doing it this way. But then now what do we do? How do we assess that? How do we, you know, how do we represent that? And and it's because we're, we're sort of stuck, I think, um, in this conflation of, you know, grades and education, you know, or this piece of paper, um, you know, and, and so we've conflated those things and the confidence. The other thing that I heard you saying um, is giving those parents in the, in the school's confidence to know that education may not be 
measurable, but it is observable, right? And and so assessing properly um, uh, is a good is a good thing, and it's okay. It's okay to to be outside the confines, even if we have to play, you know, by some other rules when we're interacting. You know, so I, I love that you're doing that kind of work, and and that um, is coming soon. You said on your website that people yes. I'm, you know, this, I'm, I'm hoping to have, um, so right now I have a landing page for home, primarily for homeschools, parents to help get them that freedom. Um, it, uh, and it's right on the, in the front of the website called tools for transcripts. It won't be called that, um, for classical schools. It'll be called something different. Um, cause you know, we're not necessarily worried about, you know, helping, classical schools do transcripts, but just refocusing and reorienting their thought, their thinking about assessments and how to, how do they assess grammar school students and what kinds of things can they use, you know, tools in their classical toolbox that they have, like recitation is a way to assess certain things. Um, narration is a way to assess um, things and mimetic teaching is a way to assess and discussion is a way to assess and just using and honing those teaching skills and kind of flipping them over on their side to look at assessment. I, I align it too with Adler's three columns of knowledge. I love Paideia proposal. Yeah. Um, so shout out to that book and Mortimer Adler bless him. I just love that, that book of, you know, he, he puts them into three categories, facts, skills, and ideas. And actually we've modeled our SCA grammar school, um, report cards, if you call them after facts and skills and ideas. So in grammar school, we don't really assess our students ideas yet. We talk, we talk about ideas and a lot of ideas, but we don't assess necessarily assess them yet, but it's a lot of facts and skills. And then we have the intellectual virtues on there and we are, um, basically their report card. I mean, there's no grades, there's no percentages, there's comments, there's maybe a check or a not if they've, if they've met certain, you know, requirements for skills and facts, um, but it's basically a conversation between parents and, and students. So we're trying to practice what we preach, but I'm basically what I'm doing is just sharing what we've learned in our journey, which we're not along the journey. There's other schools, you know, I know Veritas does narr narrative assessment, Veritas in Virginia. I attended one of their seminars and, you know, they are they are far down on the process, you know, with narrative assessment with their grammar school. But I just feel like it's a more edifying and a more humane and actually a more accurate way to assess a student. And, and we should be doing that in classical education. We don't we do not have to follow the modern model. It, the modern model is broken. So yes. we should not be trying to plug ourselves into something that is broken and and harmful and leading students to love the wrong thing, which is grades and achievements and um, college entrance and, you know, which those are all good things, but they sure. are the wrong things to love. So I, I love that. Well, as we sort of, you know, wind down a little bit and, and come near the uh, end of our podcast, um, I, I really appreciate, you know, your um, your take and and your um, contribution, especially here in assessments and, and what you have to offer. I, I would be curious to hear, um, you know, you've talked a little bit about the broken modern state and or, or you know, state of education. And I'm wondering, um, 
you know, if you would maybe comment on your assessment of, you know, uh, the current state of education in American families and, you know, the kind of research and things that you have done, um, what, um, you know, what should our listeners be looking for? What would be your, I guess, your opinion or assessment of that? And then what final advice or suggestions would you leave with them? Um, and I know you recommended a book. Maybe there's another one that you would recommend as well, or, or maybe not. But just wanted to maybe hear your final thoughts on, you know, what is the state of American education? What should folks do? What would you leave them with? Well, you know, I... I had been contemplating this question um, because you gave it to me a little bit beforehand. <laughs> and it's a hard question, Scott. How do we fix American education? Because we're all trying to, to do, you know, I think we just need to identify that it's, it, there is, there, it is broken. There's a brokenness to it. How, how we reform it. I don't have a, um, an idea of how, you know, how I would go in and fix it or how I would tell somebody else to fix it. I, I actually, you know, when I thought about this question more is people have to want to be fixed and people have to see a need to be redeemed. And I, you know, I don't think the American education system, um, I, I think, you know, everybody knows that there's issues and problems, but I don't think that the problems that I would I see would line up or, or maybe even a lot of classical educators. I don't think they see the the solution as something that others see. So until you have that aligned, I, I'm not sure what what we do about it. I mean, because if you don't think something needs to be fixed um, or redeemed, um, then. I don't know how you, how do you make someone see that, you know, because I, you know, when I'm in as a classical educator, I, I realize like when I'm talking to parents about classical education, you have some parents that really get classical education. It lights their soul. They're drawn to it. They want that for their kids. There's other parents that look at classical education as an escape from the brokenness of public school, but they don't really understand the beauty of classical education. And sometimes they end up finding that and sometimes they don't. But it's really hard to tell people, you know, what they don't know. Like, how do you know what you don't know? And if you're not, if you're not, you don't know that you're missing it. And I think a lot of people think, you know, that their, their educational system, their, and their kids are in public, that it's fine. It's, it's good enough. It's going to get them to college. So they're real, maybe they don't even know that they're missing something that their kids going to go through, go through school and they're going to get a job and they're going to get an education, which as classical educators, we know that that's not what it's all about. But if that's all, you know, um, you know, I think it is hard to fix. So my, I guess my answer to that is I, I want to throw the net out or throw the fishing line out and the ones that are drawn in. I want to talk to those people, you know, I want to talk to the ones that they're, they, there's something has changed in their soul when we talk about this kind of education and just in little ways that, you know, we're, we're igniting that fire to the ones that are that are being drawn in. We can't win everyone over, but we can win other, you know, people over. We can, you know, win 
small groups of people over a little at a time. And with those, we, you know, we can make a difference in education and hopefully, you know, at one point, you know, people will see that difference. They will see the difference in our students. And I think that is starting to happen in classical education and homeschool education. People are noticing. I don't know if they're noticing for the right reasons though. You know, they're saying, oh, well, they do well on their test scores and they do well in college. And so they're still looking for the same things. Their, their, their love hasn't changed. It's still the same thing um, of, you know, achievement and getting out of school and, you know, succeeding in life. But um, I think others are noticing, um, you know, hopefully that maybe classically educated students are, you know, feel a little bit more at peace with themselves and the world and know, know who they are. And that's, that's what I'm seeing when I observe uh, classical students in my, my, my integrated humanities class at, at JBU. Um, I notice a difference in their thinking and, um, and that's, that's really, really beneficial for me to see because now I'm, I, I've been in the K through 12 so long that, you know, teaching in a, in a college, I'm seeing the fruits of that at least. So um, what was your other question? Any thoughts, advice? Yeah, what would you what would you leave you know with with our listeners and I, and I and I do want to just mention I really appreciate that, that perspective that you know as we build um, you know I've heard it you know called like repairing the ruins and in some different ways people put it but recognizing as the broken system continues to decline and dilapidate that building what is good true and beautiful as an alternative will, you know, more and more people are jumping off the one boat and getting on, even if they don't know why, um, but prayerfully that they continue to catch it. So I, I loved your answer. I thought it was, um, it was delightful. Yeah. What, what thoughts, maybe advice, suggestions, what kind of call to action, what should folks do? Well, I think that my, my advice for classical teachers and classical parents or any human is to just uh, just one step at a time in order to improve, you know, you don't have to go enroll in a PhD program to, to learn. You know, you can just, just pick up a book that's hard, <laughs> read a little bit of it. Um, I, I still encourage my son who is, uh, he just graduated from college. He's an engineer. He's not in the academic world now. And, you know, it's so easy just to come home from work and to watch TV and play video games. You know, it's, hey, I struggle with that too. You know, I I still watch Amazon Prime and, you know, have <laughs> my shows. But to have people, you know, at least discipline themselves, you know, and especially Christians who would discipline themselves in um, things like prayer and re Bible reading and, you know, going to church that you can have a discipline of learning as well. And so I would encourage people just for their own soul growth to pick up a good book, to, you know, pick up a classic, something that they're not, you know, that they don't know, join a book club, um, enroll in an online class. You know, there's so many classes out there and they, they do cost a little bit of money, but, you know, it's a good investment, your brain and your soul and um, your spirit. And, you know, just to do something like that, um, read with your kids, even your adult children. So I still ask my kids, what are you reading? Hey, we have, you know, we have a very long audible account with tons of books on it. 
encouraging them to read together, um, encouraging discourse and conversation. So, you know, those are the things that people are attracted to. I realized that my children like to bring their friends home because they like they like the conversation and their friends are attracted to the conversation. I didn't know that we were that different from other people, but apparently we are because people keep coming to our house. <laughs> like we're empty nesting, but they keep coming back. <laughs> and um, so, but just having kind of a, you know, a, uh, a way of life that includes, you know, discussion, reading, thinking, and, um, in open discourse and, and, and kind of, you know, escaping the, the, the distractions, the acedia of, you know, media and things like that. Um, that, that's what I would recommend. Um, I, I would recommend to, you know, I'd recommended the book deep in thought by Jason bear intellectual virtues. I also recommend one of the biggest books that, um, really changed my way of thinking about education. And I've, I've considered this for a dissertation topic, somehow bringing this all together is, um, poetic knowledge, a recovery of education by James Taylor. It is one of the best books, of course, you know, um, norms and nobility is my favorite book, but, um, as well too, but man, poetic knowledge makes that book helps has helped me see different a poetic mode of learning in almost any discipline. And I, I love thinking and talking about that. Um, we've been doing some research with uh, Albert Chang at the classical education research lab at the U of A, which is awesome. And, you know, we've been thinking about some of these things. And so um, those are the things that I, I you know, I'm, I just depart with and um, just really have helped me look at life and learning in a completely different way. So those are fantastic um, thoughts. I really appreciate you sharing those, Carrie. And I'll just put in a plug. Um, you and, and uh, Dr. Albert Chang um, have a, a journal submission coming out in our winter uh, consortium journal. So congratulations on that. And so our folks can uh, look for that and I'll have the list of these books and various websites we've talked about in the show notes. Carrie, thank you so much uh, for being on our show today. And thank you for what you're doing in classical education. God bless you. Thank you. Bye-bye folks. Bye-bye.